Hello, it's Paul Scott here with my weekly podcast for the Small Cap Valley Reports on Stockopedia. Another very, very interesting week we've had this week. It, it feels like we're picking our way through a minefield at the moment, doesn't it? Um, we're getting a lot of profit warnings still, some of them quite surprising, some of them quite obvious, um, all related to inflation and supply chain problems, really, and also, in some uh, areas, declining demand as well. It's so difficult to work out which companies are going to suffer and which ones are going to sail through these current uh, tough macro conditions. So, but I think as the readers were discussing this week um, in the in the daily reports, there do seem to now be some signs of uh, quite a few stocks actually bouncing quite strongly. I mean, one of mine is Volex VLX, <coughs> and that's up nearly fifty percent now from. Uh, a recent completely irrational sell-off on results day. It put out good results, good outlook, and the share price tanked, which was ridiculous. I have no idea who was selling or why, but they're pretty daft. Um, and and it, I think it bottomed out at about £2.10. Well, it's now about £3.10. That's, that move has happened just in a few weeks. Um, and the, the quite a few. I've just run a little um, screen on Stockopedia, actually, for Momentum. You can screen by weekly, monthly, three-monthly, yearly, relative strength, and so on, and make your own. <coughs> sorry, make your own screens up, which is um, very, very easy and simple and intuitive to do. And it's it's quite interesting to look at a lot of uh, a lot of shares that private investors like are bouncing quite strongly. So I think that's tentatively a good sign. Although I'm wondering. Are people going to sell into these big rallies, though? I think maybe some will. So I, it remains to be seen if um, if these big bounces are going to actually hold or if we uh, see another leg down. I have no idea. I don't have a particularly strong view either way on it either. OK, moving on to individual shares then. On Monday, I'm going to do this in daily sections and then press pause um, so I don't overload myself. Monday was the busiest day of the week. Graham and I covered eight companies in the Small Cap Value Reports. Now, I'm not going to speak for, for Graham because he does his own stuff and he's a um, very, very accomplished analyst and investor and former fund manager as well. So he really knows his stuff. So I'm not going to... You'll have to log into the actual reports to, to, to see his comments. But the stuff I looked at, uh, Fevertree put out a profit warning on, on Monday... A little bit big for our, our small cap reports. Uh, it got really punished. It was uh, down... Oh, no, sorry. I think it was the previous Friday. Down 28% um, on the previous Friday. That was it. And I was a day late reporting on it. Now, this is quite interesting. Um, obviously, the premium uh, mixers company that outsources all its production. It's run into a lot of supply chain problems. And this does seem to be the downside with outsourcing. You know, you're not necessarily going to be at the top of the uh, of the list for for priorities uh, with, with the manufacturing company depending on who else they serve uh, but what i like about fevertree's profit warning is that the problems look fixable they're all supply chain related high cost of glass logistics problems they can't get production in america up quick enough so they're having to supply america from the uk which is obviously costly and time consuming but these are all fixable problems and at the small cap value reports we love profit warnings which are fixable um 
The main thing with Fever Tree that came through to me from its announcement was that demand is still good. So um, the trouble is on the metrics, it still isn't cheap. And that was when it was £8.67. Now, the interesting thing is it's bounced 23% since then. It's now over £10 in just a week, which is quite interesting, isn't it? That things are getting really slammed on profit warnings. But it seems to be bringing in buyers now in a way that I don't think we've seen really for quite a while. So I think that's quite interesting. It seems to me uh, it's a pointer that we might be getting close to a market bottom, isn't it? Or we might have even put in the market bottom. I don't know. But good quality individual shares are now do seem to be bouncing on uh, this type of profit warning that's fixable. So Fever Tree, although for me it's still too expensive, so um, I'm not going to buy that. Now Tristel, T-S-T-L, this is an an interesting, good quality little company. Um, It's halved in price over the last year. I reviewed the, uh, was it the accounts or a trading update? Let's have a scroll back. Uh, here we are, inline trading update for financial year June 2022. It's announced a small special dividend, doesn't really matter. It's strongly financed, it's always had a really good balance sheet with lots of cash, so I don't think there's dilution risk there. But the trouble is, it's just over £3 a share. The valuation still looks really high. Um, it's in a PE of something like 40 because uh, investors are basing that, I think, on hopes for it getting FDA approval in America and building up launching in the American market but they're saying that's going to take a few years to develop and it's it's very difficult for foreign companies to sell into the US market yes it's a huge market but they don't generally like buying um, stuff from unknown foreign companies so I'm a bit skeptical on Tristel I I think it's still too expensive then the bombshell announcement on Friday afternoon was that its CEO has sold almost half his holding Uh, he sold um, 333,000 shares. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, it worked out at a million pounds he's raised, and it says in the announcement it's to buy a house. Well, it's not the first time um, he's sold shares, and he's only got 1.2 million of shares left. This is the CEO. Now, to my my mind, if the future for the company was really exciting and the shares were cheap, he wouldn't be selling nearly half his holding, would he? Even even though it is nice to obviously buy a multi-million pound house, and I hope he enjoys living there, it's not a vote of confidence in the company, and so I think that very much reinforces my bearish stance on Tristel on valuation grounds. I'm not bearish about the company, I just think it's probably worth nearer £1.50 than £3, the way I look at it. Anyway, Tortilla, this is a uh, ticker M-E-X, I'm not doing the phonetic alphabet because it comes out quite clearly in the audio, and I think I've milked that joke for quite long enough anyway. Now, Tortilla, Mex, this is, I think it's a good format, it's quite a rapid rollout of Mexican burrito type food, mainly takeaway, they have a few small areas to sit inside as well. Uh, These are very Mexican style burritos, tortillas, it's very popular in London, there are loads of chains expanding doing Mexican food, outside of London less prominent, so my only slight worry with tortilla is that they might have the outside of London market largely to themselves right now. And it is a really good product. I mystery shopped it again twice this week, the Bournemouth branch, and was very pleased. I think um, service can be a bit slow, and I think it's overcomplicated the way they they make the product. But 
I think, Chilango, which actually Tortilla's bought. It, Chilango is the best in class, in my opinion. I go there every day when I'm up in London. It's fantastic quality f- food. Tortilla's quality, I think, is lower than, or tortilla is lower than, than, than Chilango. But Chilango went bust, so they were, obviously weren't very good at site selection and paying far too much for premium rent sites. The, the key thing with, with expanding rollouts of restaurants and bars now, the reason why I think they're really, really good is that... <clears throat> They can gain market share as as weaker competitors go bust, particularly independents, and they're getting amazing deals on properties. I think, um, I mean, I spoke to another hospitality company that's expanding recently, and the CEO was just raving about the deals they're being offered. He said, we are lining up deals that will lay the ground for us to make really good profits over the next 10 years. Uh, Typically, releases are now 5 plus 5, so in other words, a break claw, a 10-year lease, but a 5-year break clause so the mistakes um, are not as big as they used to be when a 15 year lease was the norm with no break clauses back in my day when I was a CFO in in retail that was 15 year leases were were the norm without break clauses so you got the site selection wrong and you had an absolute millstone round your neck for, for 15 years so it's much much better now so I think expanding formats like Tortilla, like uh, Fulham Shore, um, and there are several bars groups that are expanding. I think these are actually, I think that could, this could be a really good time to buy the best ones. But I think it's no good looking at a sort of Me Too format. I think the format has to appeal to customers. And I think more and more evidence is mounting now that people will spend on discretionary items if it's value for money and if they enjoy it. But I think people are pairing back in, in other ways. Uh, incidentally, I had a smart meter fitted this week, and it's brilliant. I don't know how many of you have had smart meters fitted, but it shows you in real time your electricity usage. So you can wander around with this little terminal, turning things off at the wall, and sit waiting a few seconds and seeing how much the electricity consumption dropped. So I've managed to drastically reduce my my electricity consumption. I've worked out that turning off the TV and set-top box at the mains on the wall set will save me about £58 a year, which is pretty surprising, isn't it? So, um, although the trouble is now, I'm not, um, I'm not getting... It's not recording all the things I've set it to record <laughs> because it's switched off. But uh, does that really matter? No, I think the 58 quid is better to have. Um, what else? So, tortilla, yeah, it looks interesting. The... I haven't bought any yet, I'm, I'm, that's on my watch list, because I think the trouble is with restaurant chains generally, they had such a massive boost from government support measures last year, uh, the, the temporary reduction in VAT, business rates relief was massive for some of these companies, uh, the tail end of furlough, um, and, and, and several other things as well that I can't remember off the top of my head, But um, and they're up against really big cost headwinds now as well, food and energy prices are going up the most and those the, the, the and wages and those are the three big overheads for hospitality so I'm not yet com- I want to wait and see with tortilla to see how much profit it actually makes when everything's kind of normalized but it's on my watch list now Reynolds RNO this uh, is a turnaround that we've been following at the small cap value report now for several years actually and it's 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 a really nice little company uh, really good results. I was very impressed with the results it put out on Monday. Uh, it's got pricing power. 
Reynolds has. This is what I, I think a lot of people haven't realised. It supplies industrial chains. Um, high, it's got a very good reputation for high quality, premium priced products. They're a small percentage of the cost of the overall machines that they go into. Things like, I don't know, baggage handling, um, tra the, those those things you put your suitcases on at the airports and uh, I mean uh, industrial chains are in everything you know all sorts of machinery and they wear out of course and they have to be replaced on a pretty much a fixed cycle so these are not discretionary purchases by the customers and they're prepared to pay up for rental product that can be as much as five times um, a cheap sort of Chinese knockoff product um, but because it's mission critical you cannot have these chains breaking down people are prepared to pay. So I think Reynolds is a much better business than the stock market realises and I'm itching to buy back actually. The only drawback with Reynolds is obviously the pension scheme and I don't like the way it's presented uh, in the, by the company. I think the reality of it is that it's about a £4 million a year cash outflow but the company can afford it and right throughout the pandemic uh, it got some deferral of the pension payments but it's managed to greatly reduce its bank, bank debt service the pension scheme um, a lot of its equipment has been renewed with a big multi-year capex program that's largely done now and it's done all of that without calling on shareholders for any further equity so i think Reynolds is really really good business and uh, as i say i want to get back into that at some point um, but bear in mind the pension scheme does consume quite a lot of cash okay let's pause this and i'll do my reading up for tuesday next uh, I've just forgotten audio boom ticker B O O M. That was I also no sorry I covered that on Tuesday but I think it was Monday the results came out. Now this is interesting. It is a turnaround. I think the new management have done a great job turning it around. Overall, I ran through the interim results and I wasn't really impressed. It's got strong top line growth, very strong top line growth, which is great. It does podcasts, um, it distributes and creates podcasts. Uh, the trouble is it's a very low margin business, only about 20% gross margin, so there's not really uh, any operational gearing there. And some of the admin costs of, are actually variable, so you could argue that things like sales commission and uh, the actual IT costs of delivering millions of podcast streams could maybe should, should maybe go into the gross in, into cost of sales so i think actually the gross margin is even lower than 20% which doesn't really interest me that much i mean the only good thing you can say about that is that it it's not vulnerable to a downturn in ad spending which is clearly beginning to happen um <clears throat> they do warn that q3 of the current year is seeing a softening of ad demand um I think overall quite an interesting business. It might be valuable to an acquirer, uh, but I, th I still think it's overvalued. The market cap's come down um, to about 100 million or 107 million. I think. Sorry, just bang the microphone. Yeah, six pounds sixty. It's currently at 107 million. I don't see the value in it I, at that at that price. It's not a value share. I get that. It's a growth company. Um, it is profitable. Now, the, the, the Investor Meet Company webinar from management was fantastic. I listened to that, watched that last night, and I think the CEO and CFO of Audio Boom come over tremendously well. Really sensible, serious experts in their field, and they've taken what was really a bit of a basket case of a company, and they've turned it round, and it is now modestly profitable. Um, 
and and starting to generate cash although i did question the receivables being high uh, management covered that in the webinar um and you know it doesn't collect in the cash that well but it has improved um and i think the, the cash collection in q1 lagged q4 was their biggest seasonal quarter and then q1 this year did see a cash flow catch up to some extent so i think that's eased my worries about the receivables but they're clearly not being paid that particularly quickly by by the advertisers so they probably need to tighten up their credit control but they're bringing in new uh, accounting software they were using zero with an x and they're moving now on to just consulting my notes here some other system I can't find it but anyway um, quite surprised me they were using zero because that's really a small business accounting package it's good I've used it myself but um, it does emphasize that Audioboom is a fairly smallish company it's got a headcount of about 45 people which they're saying is leaner than their competitors I think that th so I like Audioboom but I think it's still overpriced and I think the industry is just an unattractive industry uh, the CEO of Audioboom did say on the webinar, we're about the only people in the sector who make any money. Well, what's that telling you about the sector? You know, and particularly as as um, they also said that uh, they expect podcast advertising to continue doing well. It's expected to keep, uh, grow at 15% this year. But overall, ad spending in America apparently is, is they said, is expected to go down 20%. Now, the trouble is the slides on, on current uh, trading clearly showed a downturn in the number of brands advertising. And the, um, <clears throat> the, the uh, you know, so I think that didn't seem to fit with an expectation of 15% growth this year. So I think this might have um, a profit warning in it possibly later this year. So I'm going to keep a, a watching brief on this. Um, but Audio Boom just, just doesn't appeal to me. Um, as a as a value type share and I think the trouble is you know the huge premium for tech companies a lot of that has dissipated hasn't it this year so yeah okay let's pause this again Tuesday we had a bombshell from made made.com m-a-d-e this is the online furniture retailer which has a, a nice niche a very distinctive product and it sort of appeals to millennials I think um, who do things online only very often. Now, really, really bad profit warning, one of several. It's now expecting losses at the 80, 80 million pounds loss before tax for financial year December 2022. Now, to me, that's a game changer. Before it looked like, oh, supply chain problems, blah, 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 it's going to make a, a loss of, I don't know, 30-odd million this year. Not too bad, because it had plenty of cash in the bank. I think an 80 million loss for 2022 is 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 off the scale bad and I think this could go bust actually um, it's running out of cash uh, and um, it hints in the announcement at a placing being needed I can't see who would want to to support a placing so I concluded on Tuesday that made.com is now uninvestable and I think it could it could uh, go under uh, but you don't know that was at 38.5 P and I think it's gone a lot lower than that now um, so <clears throat> that actually was tentatively on my buy list but luckily I'd actually made a comment next to it saying this is before the profit warning saying more speculative too early loss making so that was a possible buy but thank god I didn't 
push the button on that. So now it's I've crossed it out from my buy list. I think it's uninvestable now, unfortunately. Next share on Tuesday was Photo Me International, which is changing its name to just me, I think. Uh, ticker PHTM. Excellent interim results. I thought these were really impressive. This is very much one of my top value share picks right now. Um, it announced a special divvy, which uh, was a, a useful size. I've, I've, I've commented here that I think the shares are at least 30% undervalued. Uh, now, we had some good to and fro in the reader comments section. One of uh, our best commenters said he didn't really see it. He, he thought the, the business model of photo booths was destined to eventual uh, oblivion. But th people have been saying that for the last 20 years with photo me. And it remains a tremendous cash cow. And they've announced that they're jacking up their prices hugely. So it's got pricing power. And people who've used the photo booths say it's very, very good. You can transmit them straight to the passport office um, and so on. You can do it all online with a with an iPhone, but it's a fiddle. So I think the photo booths still have a market. They're still pr very profitable. Plus the laundry side of the business, these heavy-duty uh, laundry machines are actually a, big, a, a good second division part of the, the the profit base they split out the profitability of the laundry machines recently and that's very good business i i think this is a terrific company um i think another reader commented that photo me could be benefiting from the surge in demand for passports now people can travel again that's a, a pretty good point um so uh but now management the the controlling shareholder tried to buy it at 75p a while ago which fell through because it didn't get any support. I think they, when I reported on them, they were up to 90p, and it's carried on going up. I think they're nearly a pound photo me. I think it's still cheap, so I really like that one. Another disaster was on Tuesday was Hotel Chocolat, H-O-T-C. Now, this has really crashed. It was a sort of premium price growth company. I never quite understood why the valuation was so high. I think it peaked at five or six pounds. Well, you can now buy it for just over a quid, about one pound thirty. Uh, I think it's starting to look interesting. I have to say, basically, the wheels have come off with its international expansion. Reading between the line, well, it's it's. I think it's likely to pull out of the U.S. and it looks like Japan's going horribly wrong as well. They pumped a lot of money into it. They got an intercompany loan of nearly twenty million from a JV partner in Japan. I think that's almost certainly going to be written off. Well, sounds like it's very likely to be at least provided against. Whether they'll subsequently collect in any cash from that, I don't know. So I think, really, we, ne we now need to look at Hotel Chocolat as a UK business. Now, as a UK business, it's doing pretty well. So now the 2023 forecasts, which is now the current year, were absolutely smashed, reduced about 60-odd percent. So... I think we shouldn't anchor to the previous share price where profitability was a lot higher. But I think there are good reasons to expect Hotel Chocolat to gradually rebuild their margins. Again, fixable problems, I believe. So I think that's starting to look quite interesting. I'd be more comfortable buying below a quid. But whether it gets down to that level, I don't know. It depends on the fund managers, doesn't it? Because I think it's widely held by fund managers who might now just have given up on it and want it off their books. Also, a key point right now is fund managers are suffering from client redemptions. So a lot of them are forced sellers now. And that could go on for a while, because it certainly did in 2001 and 2002. I remember that was a, a, a painful 
bear market uh, that lasted nearly three years and fund managers were just forced sellers of anything they could sell very often if their fund was doing really badly and that's why you ended up with companies um, often being priced below net cash uh, rubbish companies I have to say because the same cycle plays out doesn't it over and over again in the in the roaring bull market the tech booms that we had in the late 90s and again in recent years you, we, we regularly now get long and sustained tech booms, don't we? And they always end the same way, with uh, with the um, a lot of junk being floated at ridiculously uh, massive valuations, and then the whole thing imploding and um, the bottom falling out, and people realizing they bought a load of uh, speculative rubbish at uh, often ridiculous valuations, especially in the U.S. Um, then it all goes flat for a few years and then gradually reflates again. <laughs> So uh, it's easy to be wise after the event, isn't it? The trouble is when you're in the thick of these booms, they go on for so long, years, that you think, well, I must be wrong. I, m- I must have got it all wrong. So even though, you know, I knew full well that all these, these things last year were, were ludicrously priced in America, uh, all, all, the, all the meme stocks and all that nonsense, crypto nonsense, you know, just multiple speculative booms all over the place, um, but the trouble is, you start shorting things and you get absolutely trampled into the dust because these booms go on for longer than you expect. So anyway, what else do we look at? Oh, I liked Eagle Eye Solutions, EYE. Um, very, very good trading update, but it's really expensive. And the 6.5 million EBITDA only turns into 2.6 million adjusted profit before tax. But it's valued at 150 million. So I think for me, Eagle Eye is is too expensive. But it, it looks a really good company. Very impressive contract wins and so on. Uh, Graham looked at Begbies. I think which both of us think is probably fully priced for now. Uh, okay, let's pause this. Wednesday we had loads more interesting companies reporting. We covered uh, eight companies again on Wednesday. So it was a mega busy week. Victoria VCP the um, the acquisitive carpets floor coverings group uh, led by Jeff Wilding. I looked at the results for March 2022 year end. Uh, I, I started off with a reasonably favourable impression and the shares have lost two thirds of their value. Um, but the, the closer I got into the numbers, the more uncomfortable I became. And actually, a reader very kindly flagged up the, the massive extent of adjustments. So I dug into that and Overall, I wasn't really comfortable with it. It's got a lot of uh, a, a, a strange debt structures with long maturities, but very, very expensive cost and almost unfathomable notes to the accounts, which I, I covered in my report. And as the as the reader, sorry, I can't remember your name, but it was a very good post from a reader who pointed out it's all very well all this adjusted profit, but actually it makes it makes a statutory loss. Victoria does VCP so um, and that was really the theme of the whole week actually we looked at quite a few companies that uh, produce losses but adjust have massive adjustments to turn that into a profit and the question is how real are these profits so I think that's we should be quite um, cautious on that Norcross NXR that's a long-standing favorite of us of the small cap value reports um, really reassuring trading update no sign of a downturn in bathroom fittings, or rather a small downturn in the UK, but offset by considerable strength in its South African operations. 
I've commented here, I think it looks dirt cheap. Um, obviously, though, it, it could be subject to macro downturns. And it's got a big pension scheme as well, as well as South Africa risk. But I think it's it's a it's a really good price now. I think Norcross and XR. So that's a possible buy for me. We none of this is advice. Obviously, remember that we're not tipping things. We're just giving personal opinions. Uh, Finsbury Food. This was a standout one for me this week on Wednesday. FIF. I've always liked this company. I think it's very well managed. Um, food producer. Very efficient well-run business but I was worried about the cost of labor and the cost of wheat because it makes obviously it makes things you bake baked bakery goods for supermarkets and uh, coffee shops and so on but it's passing on the price rises to customers and making efficiency gains and seeing volume increases so it trade uh, the, the trading update was very good so so the the 30% fall in share price we've seen in recent months looks spurious because we now know Finsbury Food can cope with higher inflation, it can cope with supply chain problems, and those are likely to get worse for food in the autumn, I would imagine. So I think Finsbury Foods is cheap on a forward PE basis, and we now have the reassurance that we know it can cope with the current macro conditions. So I think that's very good. It's also just announced a huge, relative to the size of the company, new bank facility for acquisitions. Now, I'm not entirely comfortable with that, but if the bank are pretend, prepared to extend a, a, a massive debt facility for acquisitions, what's that telling you? It's telling you that the bank really rate the business and know that it's doing well. So, very interesting. I also looked at Costain, C-O-S-T, uh, really, really cheap on, on a PE basis. I don't like these big, complex contracting companies, which only achieve very, very modest margins. But Costain is now looking so cheap that uh, it's got plenty of cash as well, although a lot of that is, is, is customer cash. And one of the readers pointed out, I think it might have been Yanos, pointed out that uh, it needs a lot of cash for remedial works and provisions, which obviously are, are, are liabilities on the balance sheet that have to be settled in cash at some point. Um, it's also got a very cash-hungry pension scheme, which doesn't really appear on the balance sheet. I think it might even appear as an asset, which is, I mean, God almighty, pension scheme accounting is so bad, the, the accounting standards. It completely misrepresents reality. They've got to do something about this. The accounting standards people are just total muppets, as far as I'm concerned. They've put in place appalling accounting standards for pensions, and obviously IFRS 16 has been a complete disaster, ruined the accounts. And as one of my readers commented, if you have to, if everyone has to make manual adjustments to accounts to make them make sense, then the accounting standards are not fit for purpose. So I hope somebody at the accounting standards people is actually listening to this and hasn't switched off because I called them Muppets. But, you know, the, their work is rubbish and they need to focus on those two areas in particular to make accounts actually useful for um, accounts users again. Oh, now NetCall, NET, really positive update. I'm very positive on that one. Um, it's expensive, but it looks very interesting. I think NetCall could be, could have reached one of those lovely inflection points where it's um, winning some big contracts. It's all recurring revenues. So yeah, I really like NetCall as a growth company that seems to be um, going places now. Oh, this is taking far longer than I expected. Let's speed up. 
Right, Thursday, I'm going to rattle through these very quickly. Highlight for the day f of the day for me was SDI. That's the ticker and the company name. It's a lovely little uh, acquisitive group of high-margin businesses in the di digital imaging space, where apparently the UK is a, a global leader with all sorts of little companies all over the UK specialising. Uh, and, and SDI is a buy and build. Very well run, I think. Management haven't put a foot wrong with the acquisitions. Uh, it's now on a forward PE of 17, which is the cheapest it's been for a long time. Um, I think the forecasts look fairly soft, although it does say uh, in the slide deck uh, um, that there was some some one-off product sales to China for PCR machines or something like that. Um, a reader kindly flagged up what that meant, but I've forgotten. Um, so, so you could see... Uh, so it's up against a headwind, basically, of these orders declining. So um, that's probably why the forecasts look quite soft. But um, the forecasts don't include anything for more acquisitions, and the company says it's got a very good acquisition pipeline, and it's got the funding to do those, although the balance sheet doesn't have much at all in net tangible asset value. Uh, so I hope they don't take on too much debt for acquisitions. Overall, I've got a very positive view of SDI, and I think at around £1.50, I think this could be a good long-term buying opportunity. So that's on my buying list for things I personally want to, to buy into at some point. Now I looked at Martin Sorrell, Sir Martin Sorrell's PR growth company, S4 Capital, where the reels, wheels have really come off. I mean, again, I looked through the numbers in quite a bit of depth, but very much like Victoria, it has massive, massive adjustments that create profit that doesn't look that real actually or not all of it anyway um, although it is cash generative um, I'm not sure about this one um, the balance sheet's quite weak I think Sir Martin Sorrell is very arrogant you know he's got an incredible track record everybody can bow down to him on that for what he did at WPP but it sounds horrible but I've commented that I think he seems like an old man in a hurry on a revenge mission to uh, try and uh, outcompete WPP, but it put out a profit warning because it's the cost of staff um, is too high. So um, although I think it might be, it could be getting to a level now where it might be worth a punt. Uh, just, just not, not a, a major position for me. But I think um, the B shares arrangement again is appalling. I think where Martin Sorrell has basically control over the company through these B shares. Uh, don't like that one bit, uh, and weak balance sheet. Horrible, rampy style in it, in some of its communications. I've 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 put. I suppose it is a marketing company, but yeah, I've got a lot of reservations about S4 Capital. But as a punt, it could be it could be quite a fun one to um, to, to 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 look at. Friday. Oh God, what a stressful day that was. The bombshell announcement the night before was from Unbound Group, UBG. Now this thing, unfortunately, I hold personally, um, although I, I've actually ditched them now Friday uh, on Friday afternoon. Uh, basically, um, where do I start? I mean, I think you better read my report as to I go through the profit warning in great detail. They claim to have not have budgeted for two million pounds of head office costs. Now I just don't believe that. I'm afraid. I think um, it's an excuse, and I've uh, investigated this, and somebody I know in the city has confirmed with brokers who produced research on this that they did include head office costs. 
Uh, I don't trust management at all here now at Unbound Group. They, um, <clears throat> I feel used and abused by them actually, because I spoke to them three weeks ago uh, in good faith and they reassured me they would only, only need to raise a little bit of money if they wanted to do faster expansion, indicating about a million pounds. They actually tried to raise six million pounds three weeks later after I spoke to them. Well, they would have known that at the time, so they lied to me. There's no doubt about it. Um, and so I won't be speaking to them again. And I think Unbound is now just uninvestable. If you can't trust management, it's quite obvious the bank have got cold feet because they've got 10 million net debt. I did flag up previously that net debt at Unbound Group was a worry, but they're now saying they're not going to make any profit at all this year, whereas they had forecast £2 million. Well, that will totally change the attitude of the bank. Banks don't mind lending to companies that are profitable and cash generative. They don't want to be exposed to risk of companies that are... Uh, a break-even, and um, it, it, as I say, the original deal was a, they tried to raise, this is from a city source who's reliable, they uh, tried to raise £6 million, pounds, 5 plus 1, placing an open offer, £6 million pounds at 25p. Uh, they couldn't get funding at that level, so it ended up being at 15p, a substantial discount, and they only managed to raise £3.3 million. Now, the open offer, the shares have dropped to about 12 or 13p, so that's now well below the 15p open offer price, so the open offer is likely to have minimal uptake, because you can just buy them cheaper in the market, and pretty much everybody in this share, I think, wants to sell, because, you know, it's been a, an absolute um, total disaster in its short term as a listed company, demerged from... Electra Private Equity. I'm absolutely livid over this one. I think the whole thing, we've been sold a pup, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm very, very sorry about that because I was bullish on this, but I was, you know, I just went on the information that we, that we were provided by Electra and by Unbound Group, which has turned out to be uh, inaccurate. So there we are. You live and learn, don't you? I've, I've, in Friday's report, I did actually obviously apologise for getting it wrong. Um, and uh, some of the lessons we we can learn from this I've, I've detailed there, so see Friday's report for that. Now also we wave a tearful goodbye to Stanley Gibbons, that announced on Friday that its major shareholder wants to delist. They own 58% of it, and uh, a company, an investor called Phoenix, and they're actually funding Stanley Gibbons themselves. So as they say in the announcement, there's no reason to maintain a listing, because they don't need to raise capital because they're getting it from 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 phoenix and the costs and hassle of a listing are, are not worth it now <clears throat> i think people ought to think very carefully in all your micro cap holdings what is the point in this company being listed in bear markets like this i've seen this before in every bear market over the last 25 years you get a lot of delistings of typically of small or financially stretched companies who can't just where there's just no point in remaining listed when you hardly get any trades in the shares, there's no liquidity, you can't raise money from in, in a bear market very often, so there's no point in being listed. Another point that I've not seen before that Stanley Gibbons mentioned is that they're educating the competition. Its competitors are, 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 are private companies which don't have to disclose um, chapter and verse about the business operations and so on. So the competitors are reading Stanley Gibbons' annual reports in great depth uh, to, to, to looking for competitive advantages that they can take advantage of uh, Stanley Gibbons disclosing um, information that would be better kept under wraps and internal to the business. So that's a very good point, I think. 
could it actually harm? And I've occasionally I've heard that from a few other competitors. I remember Indigo Vision CEO tearing a strip off me once because I did a verbatim write up of the AGM, and he said, and he and he snapped at me. Our competitors are reading this, you know. Well, I'm not sure what accent that was, but it was an attempt at Scottish. <laughs> Back to the drawing board on accents. All right, and I think that's probably far too long. I didn't intend going on 40 minutes, but it's been such an interesting week. Oh, I I interviewed Cockney Rebel, Richard Crowe, on Friday, yesterday, and that's up on my website, this website, that you're listening to this on, qualitysmallcaps.co.uk. It was such a pleasure to chat to Richard. It's over six years since we've spoken, which is crazy. He's such a shrewd investor and a really nice guy, very uh, entertaining and funny as well. I love his just straightforward, common sense approach to investing. And I won't spoil the interview for him, but he's surprisingly upbeat on his, in his market's macro outlook, as indeed am I. I think uh, the, the, the seeds are now have been sown for, for inflation to start falling next year. And that's what the Bank of England says. Commodities are dropping supply chains are easing. I, I think we, we might pass through the worst of all this, maybe this autumn, and then uh, sunny up plans in 2023 and 24, quite possibly, with inflation, I don't know, definitely coming down, I think. Unless there's another huge shock to the system, we just don't know, do we? But anyway, do listen to, to, that, to that interview with Cockney Rebel. Um, he does nearly all the talking, and it's full of uh, interesting stock ideas, I think. Okay, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Bye for now.